Welcome to season four of the Tapping Into podcast. This is a podcast where we explore different spiritual, natural and alternative ways to heal our lives. My goal is to help support you in your journey, whatever stage that may be. In this season, we're digging a bit deeper into the emotions and traumas that often kickstart or accelerate our healing journey. We discuss shame, sex, death, burnout, Ayurveda, breathwork, flower essences, rituals and embodiment, all with a bit of science to back it up at the end. Really hope you enjoy this season. Yay and welcome back to episode one of season four. I am so happy to be back sharing amazing conversations with you and if you are new to this podcast please check out Tapping Into with Sarah Tobin, all the episodes from seasons one to three. We go very deep in this first episode where I chat to author and blogger Natalie Lee. You may know her as Style Me Sunday on Instagram for a fashion blog that she started after she had her daughter. Her new book, Feeling Myself, is incredible. And I actually go a little bit fangirl on her at the beginning. I am recommending this book as a must read for every woman and I hope that they see this as something to use on their healing journey. Shame is one of the heaviest and densest energies that we can hold and as women we hold so much of it, not just our own shame but the shame of generations before us. Natalie unpicks a lot of the conditioning and traumatic experiences that has led her to write this book. We both share vulnerable truths about our relationship to sex and pleasure and our bodies. It was a brilliant conversation and I'm honoured to bring it to you all. Please jump into my DMs after you listen to this. I'd really love to hear the feedback. Does this bring up emotion for you? Does a lot of this resonate with you? Do you have some letting go to do? I really hope this book and the normalization of these topics like masturbation, pornography and sexuality help you on your journey wherever that is right now. And if you are here listening, then there's probably something for you to take away from this conversation. Natalie does refer to a trauma she experienced, but she doesn't go into any detail as that's all covered in the book. So we both really hope you enjoy this and let us know how you get on. Oh, and I managed to give Natalie a bit of a tapping session earlier in the week that we recorded this. And we talk about it towards the end of the podcast, what her experience was, how she found it. And yeah, if she's a convert and you're going to have to listen to find out. Hi, Natalie. Hello, my love. How are you? I'm great. I am very, very pleased to have you on the Tapping Into podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Really, really happy to be here. Oh, you're so kind. Um, you have a book coming out and I was very lucky to have been sent a pre, pre-version. And I I don't want to come across as like um, a total fangirl, but... <laughs> I can handle it. You can handle it. Okay, good. (laughs) I have to say, I was blown away. And 
surprised by the book, by the content, by the vulnerability, by um, the depth of your own awareness, by also how much it resonated with me and what it brought up in me. And now I can't relate to a lot of your story, but it just shows me that so many women will relate to a huge part of what's in here. And I think this is a book of the generation and a book of women uh, that all women need to read right now. And I, I, I don't say that lightly. How can you make me like cry in the first like 30 <laughs> seconds of this podcast I seriously but do you know what I'm getting chills all over my body because that's exactly what I hoped yeah and hearing that feedback from a real person <laughs> is the most incredible feeling in the world it really is thank oh, you oh bless you bless you because I know what's gone into creating this book and it's tears and trauma and grief and shame and the journey that you have been on to bring this to birth this which I mentioned to you the other day and we'll talk about that later like I feel is your gift to the world like your legacy and it's a privilege to be able to read it and to 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 talk to you about it today so thank you thank you that really really does mean the world to me and I'm not just saying it it's it really does um I have a lot of Irish listeners and I live in the UK now I've been here for many years but a lot of my audience is in Ireland and we have all grown up with the Irish Catholic suppression and so that's a part that I really resonated with a lot you know the the good, the good girl confusion that you described and the pressure to be one thing, but also the pressure to be something else. And um, the disconnection that we have with our womb space and our pleasure center. And there's so much to unpick here. And I think like... There is. And I talk about my Irish Catholic family a bit in there. Yeah. And um, the repression that has filtered down to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the ancestral trauma piece of it. And I work with ancestral trauma all the time with individual clients. It's huge. It's huge. And the how you unpick the conditioning that we've been through as women and um, as women of particular culture or race backgrounds, of women in a particular patriarchal system, for example, the Catholic school system, uh, through to navigating wanting to be loved gosh there it's just it's just mega and I wanted to start with reading a paragraph that I just thought would would get us on course to talking about the kind of the big topic okay so I'm going to read this now okay now I'm nervous <laughs> <laughs> so I'm reading my your book back to you you've just yeah it's strange huh? um okay so I felt shame about having sex in the first place and what that meant Although what that might mean for my sense of goodness. I felt shame about sexual experiences that happened to me without my consent. And I blame myself for my role in them. I felt shame about enjoying pornography. I felt shame about finding it hard to reach orgasm. And shame about wanting to orgasm at all. I felt shame for my fantasies and desires that broke the mould of what I thought I should want. I was deeply ashamed of what my body looked like. And wouldn't even 
Uh, don't even get me started on how shameful I believed it was to touch myself. Sex and shame became so intertwined that I didn't even know it was possible to separate them. I just think that is an amazing paragraph that every single woman is going to resonate with. And I think there's there's gold in here to help people unpick their own uh, traumas and their own they're on their own journey. So my question to you is, how did you come to a place of such awareness that shame was the biggest, or maybe it wasn't, but a, a big overarching emotion that you have been carrying for a long time? I think it was through starting to write the book. It wasn't the most apparent thing initially. And then through the process, it became like, oh, my God, like the umbrella that overshadows all of this is shame. And it just in my writing, it just became so obvious. So that then really helped to knit everything together and just give the book a bit more of a focus um, and it and yeah, I mean, it, it worked really well, but I didn't really understand what the point of the book was while I was writing it until I started to unpick what I was saying and yeah, get it all it, like it had to just like everything just had to come together in my head. It's not easy when you're writing because, you know, you've got something to say and I am very, very happy that I finally feel like I've found my voice mm. and this is this is it this is the process this is what you want to say yeah this is it I mean it's terrifying <laughs> like absolutely fucking terrifying yeah because I'm literally laying my heart on the line to be judged yeah but you know what can we do I feel it feels terrifying and liberating in the yeah. same you know so I just know that everything on the other side of comfortable is where the growth happens. And I mean, God, writing this book has been the most monumental amount of growth, even continued after writing the book. Because I had to have quite a lot of therapy through writing the book because it was bringing up some stuff yeah that I wasn't prepared for Mm. and I didn't even realize was wrong in the book I talk about my first boyfriend um which is something that I didn't really understand or start to unpick until I started writing about it and I had a you know I had a therapy session and she says she said, you know, that is statutory rape right now, don't you? And I was just like, oh, ouch, how do I deal with this? How, yeah, it, like stuff like that, you know, revelations that come to you as you start to think and, and go through your story is huge. So um, there's a lot of healing, a lot of growth that has happened, but I have a really good therapist. Luckily, yeah. Thank God. I also have therapy with certain members of my family to um, to get through the book and actually come to a place where I'm really happy for it to be published. Um, 
so yeah it's been quite a quite a a journey and (laughs) yeah gosh I can imagine like what was your intention with writing the book so obviously you started wanting to write something but then and then and the umbrella then kind of took shape and you you realized it was your overarching theme was shame but what was your original intention well I knew that my life had been quite colorful I don't know I don't know what the what the right term is yeah I knew that I wanted to speak about stuff that I had never been able to speak about because other people felt shame around it. And I knew that it was holding me back in terms of being a fully functioning, fully, not fully self-aware, but more self-aware, have more self-understanding I knew that there was stuff that I needed to get out there that would resonate with a lot of women. Yeah. Like sexual trauma. Mm. So that was my initial thing. I knew that I had a story to tell that would um, help women. Yeah. And then the connection to shame has sort of just become very obvious. Yeah, it really pulls it together quite well. Did you have a publisher ready to to want and you know approve your book, or did oh, it, you write it for your own healing journey? I had been thinking about uh, writing the book for years and years and years and years. I had approached various publishers about it, and they were like, "You've got to narrow the focus. This is like." how like I had so much to say and didn't yeah. know how to get it all in um so eventually someone just said look I think there's something here but you need to work on the focus and so yeah I just I got some help with a book agent they put me in touch with a book agent and then she just helped me sort of get my proposal together and we knew that the overarching theme was going to be around sex at yeah. first. Yeah. And then it sort of just developed from there. Yeah, amazing. So are you okay to tell us a little bit about the traumas that I suppose have shaped you? Um, in particular, there's obviously a very big early life trauma. Um, how How was... How did it come about for you to actually identify that as a key player in in all of this? I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to go into detail on it. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything, everything in the book, because it's so sensitive, anything that involves anyone else, as in a victim, has to be, I, I, you know, I was very careful about getting everything signed off. Yeah. I have to be very careful in interviews of not saying something mm. that is either re-victimizing or re-traumatizing anyone else. Yeah. So I won't go into detail in it, but I do, you know, a traumatic event happened to me and somebody else when I was really young. And how did I know it was significant? Because it's always, always, always been there. It's always been I mean, it's always been at the forefront of my mind, but Mm. I have desperately tried to push it to the back of my mind. Yeah. And it's something that 
was very rarely spoken about. A couple of times it has been spoken about at a family gathering when we've all been really, really pissed. (laughs) (laughs) And um, then there's just lots of tears and uh, nothing productive has ever come out of any conversations. Yeah. And I just knew it I just knew that there was so much healing to be done there because it has really shaped my life. Of course. And then you eventually brought that into therapy, didn't you? And you were able to admit to somebody else that this was happening. Was that was that a life-changing uh, moment for you in, in terms of breakthrough? It was petrifying. Mm-hmm. It was definitely the start of starting to very, very hesitantly open that door. Because, you know, when you have something so traumatic happen, you really don't know if you are strong enough to go there. It feels like, it feels like a big can of worms that you just don't know if you're ready to open so I knew I needed to open it I know I wanted to open it Mm -hmm. and what I know now is that if you do tentatively at the right time start to crack open that box you will survive in the right environment with the right support But, you know, the timing has to be right and no one should feel pressure or there should be no expectation to do it um, if you're not ready. But the growth and the journey thereafter that you have experienced was worth the the pain of, of the revisiting the box, yeah? Every single minute. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I could talk about it now if I wanted to. Yeah. I, I now have connection with that child self. I had yeah. no connection. I was very disconnected. I was an observer. Observe. I can't say that word. Observer. <laughs> and, um, and that was a protection, you know, coping mechanism. So, you've kind of you start you've opened that box you moved through that space you know you were held and um and supported through that journey um then did you kind of go back to other parts of your childhood and start to to question that or was it more when you were writing the book that those things came up and you thought oh gosh I also need support here and there and uh yes yes a bit bit of both really yeah I think um, after my divorce, that's when I started to really be curious about looking at my patterns and behaviours and understanding them because I wanted to know, you know, what motivated me to picking the partner I picked, to having the kinds of fights or arguments that I had how how has my experience conditioned me um and how can I start to 
make better choices. Right. So it was a combination, really, because mm. after yeah, after my divorce, I was then like, I need to have some counselling and not counselling. It was like psychotherapy I actually yeah. had. And yeah. it was significant. Um, it was a very, very big investment. And I, and I realised how privileged I am to, you know, be able to invest in myself. But it was the best investment I've ever made. Absolutely. And so so then... I think therapy sort of almost enabled me to really pursue the book writing in an authentic and present manner. And, and yeah, through the book writing, uh, I have then continued to unpick, unpack and, and heal. It's an ongoing process. It's a lifelong <laughs> thing. <laughs> I always say to people, I will be healing on my deathbed I'll be letting go the last little bit of emotion I'm carrying I'll be I'll be tapping away yeah <laughs> um so the journey kind of from your early tra- your early trauma through to the conditioning then received at school and the the need for validation that you were experiencing the need for love the need f- to belong how did that lead you then into some difficult situations that, that then turned into like sexual um, sexual challenges, like diff- difficult experiences? I think um, exactly what you said. There was this, there was this, um, there was this feeling of not feeling complete. There was like this missing piece. There was this, you know, hope that somebody was going to be able to complete me, save me, um, just make me feel something, you know. Um, And I went through my whole life like that. So therefore, if you go through life like this, you are making judgments not from place of wholeness and healed you know you're making decisions based on wanting to be loved wanting to be validated there was a very big hole in my heart that just wanted someone to be proud of me and you know and I was desperate for their approval always and that you know, when you're a kid and you want that from a parental figure, mm. it's that unconditional love that you are craving, which you hold in your body usually for a long time into your adulthood and, and until you start to understand it and project it then onto other people who you're in significant relationships with. And the problem with that is, other people are not your parents. Other people are not there to give you unconditional love. That's the job of a parent, not the job of a partner. I really hate this um, this notion that we are supposed to give other adults unconditional love. No, we're fucking not. If a person is abusive, if a, if a person is horrible no matter what their background, no matter what understanding we have of it, we are not supposed to sit there and put up with it. 
So love is not conditional. Love should be about mutual respect. And, you know, I was, I was hankering after that and uh, looking for love in all the wrong places for mm. the wrong reasons. So yeah. that, you know, that dictated a lot. And I think that is what's going to resonate with every single woman. Yes. My instinct is, is that from a very young age, from the conditioning that we get from fairy tales, is that we need to be saved. We need to be looked after. And, you know, we can't do it without a man coming to pick us up and... and take us off on his horse <laughs> so I yeah, totally totally agree the the interesting part for me is like where where we as women want validation want love but we then confuse sexual activity and service to men as a way to feel loved what was your view of sex in, you know, the early teenage years when you were craving uh, love and attention and, you know, validation? I think I used sex as a tool of manipulation and power. And I knew that as a woman, if I withheld or gave this gift I guess that it gave me some sense of power which isn't really power um but that that makes it a commodity then it's not something that is a mutual experience of love and pleasure and you know coming together Mm -hmm. it's it's much more warped than that Um, So I was unable to really uh, connect with my own pleasure and my own wants and desires and needs. It was all about being of service to a man, making sure he was sexually satisfied. So then I would receive the love that I was so desperately craving. Sex was a performance for me. It was, you know... I learned all of my best techniques from porn. (laughs) (laughs) I was a really good actress. And um, yeah, it it wasn't about me. It was really not about me. It was just something I had to do, I had to get through in order to satisfy them. And you disconnected from the whole process, didn't you? You like take your mind out of the whole thing. There was nothing. There was nothing going on. It was just like, oh, all right then. Um, Shopping lists going off in your head. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, who's going to have an orgasm when you're thinking about what to cook for dinner? It's not it's not the most fertile of environments. No, no. And when did you realize what age were you? Did you realize like, actually, I don't want to live like that anymore. I've had enough performing enough sort of service not until I don't think until I was in my 30s if wow if I'm really honest 
Um, I think having children was monumental for me. I found that they really helped me to start to question everything that I was thinking. Um, I was starting to see it through sort of un, unaffected eyes again. You know, I was like, hold on. Should I be thinking that about my body? Should I be thinking that about sex? Do I want my children to have pleasure during sex? Do I want them to be doing this performance? You know, there was so much that I was then like, oh shit, like if I don't want this for them, how am I gonna stop this cycle? The only way I can do that is by working on myself. And that was quite a big revelation. Oh, and, and hopefully, you know, you don't need to have kids to have that revelation. <laughs> well, true. That would be good if you could do that before. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so how did so you, you found this awareness then and the, the something clicked and kind of the big picture of, of potential maybe awoke for you? What's... I mean, it was a slow burner. It's not okay. like <laughs> not a light bulb moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, lots of little light bulb moments <laughs> coming together. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So how did you, because obviously you're in a very different place now. So what were the steps that you took? Because this is where I think people will be able to resonate with and the shame involved in what you overcome on this little journey now. Oh, okay. I think one of the pivotal moments was after I gave birth to my first daughter and looking in the mirror and really hating what I saw, mourning the woman that I was before I had children, coming to terms with that my body was forever changed. And then having to work on that, I think my my disgust and my shame about how my body looked led to me going on a journey of wanting to, you know, really get in touch with my body again and connect. So masturbation was a big part of that. Owning my own pleasure, actually just knowing that I had a right to pleasure was, you know, really mind-blowing yeah and then when I started to give myself orgasms I was like oh my god like the power I thought I had in trying to use sex as a commodity for men is fuck all compared to the power of the orgasms I was able to give myself <laughs> who needs so, men <laughs> exactly um that oh. was and incredible and just I went on this whole journey of just discovering that I could actually I could fulfill myself. I could be okay. I didn't need somebody else. I didn't need a man to make me whole. And it was all this, it was all about reconnecting with my body again. Yeah. It was all about being present, not in my head, and just finding that there's actually so much peace in being able to reconnect and why do you think women don't talk enough about masturbation and self-pleasure? Because we've been told it's dirty and it's wrong and it's shameful. And that 
we have internalized that you know especially if you come from any sort of religious background you're mm -hmm. told not to touch yourself and something disastrous might happen to you and it's just so fucked up it's the it's the most beautiful thing in the world it's free it's pleasurable it's not traumatic you yeah. can explore what you like and what you don't like it will help you communicate with a partner about what you like and believe me partners like to know you know <laughs> they don't just I mean I'm generalizing here but I'm gonna say they don't just like pumping away they actually do want to make you feel good too yeah yeah so um I don't understand what is so wrong about it but my feeling is is that female sexuality female pleasure has been controlled for centuries yeah. and it is a form of control and it, it puts us in a box and stops us from wanting more from being selfish and we have just had this label of being of service to others and that is a very, very heavy burden to carry. And one Absolutely. I think is unfair. Very, very fucking unfair. Yeah. So I am um, in my head now. I'm thinking that sex and sexual pleasure and enjoying sex is the, one of the biggest acts of rebellion that we could actually take. Absolutely. Even now, like we are such an evolved society, right? Even now, if I post uh, pictures of myself half naked on Instagram, straight away, I will lose hundreds, if not thousands of followers. Always. Wow. And I get it. It triggers people. People don't like to see women own in their body. People don't like to see confident, sexual beings, especially mm. if you're a mum. But, you know, you're completely right. It's the biggest act of rebellion. And to me, it's if we don't push those boundaries, if we don't own it and we don't start to say, hold on, this ain't working for me, then nothing is ever going to change. Um, but it's difficult. It's difficult. We are brought up to be the foot soldiers <laughs> of misogyny and patriarchy and so therefore the judgmental side of us that we didn't even realize has been put on us we're like oh my god I wish she'd put it away or you know I can't believe she's wearing that you you know you can see everything it's like well she's just got a body and she is just you know walking around in what she was born with and there's nothing wrong with that no. And, you know, you're mirroring back to people their deepest fears. Absolutely. And, and, and triggering them and, and also perhaps triggering them to recognize their prejudice and their judgments and their conditioning. And so many people aren't ready to face that, are they? They don't, you know, they're so far removed from being self-aware. Uh, but some days, it, you know, it'll just come and hit them on the head, won't it? And, and eventually might, might get through. Exactly. And mm. listen, I'm not coming at it from a patronising No, of course not. Yeah. Because I have also felt 
judgmental about other women. It's 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 like it's so inherent in us. Yeah, it's not really our fault. Um, but yeah, I think just developing that self awareness has really enabled me to let go of my judgmentalness which still rears its head every yeah, now of course. and then. I mean, no one's perfect, right? No one's perfect. No. Yeah. And, and we have to be compassionate and forgiving about our own conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. I'm an EFT tapping practitioner and trainer. And I work with women all over the world, helping them truly let go so they can shape their own future free of the conditioning and shackles of the past. I've created a Tapping Into Motherhood membership and community where we meet monthly to tap on emotions and issues that are coming up for us. We have monthly full moon meditations with guest host Kelly Day. We enjoy guest speakers and I create a tapping or meditation for the month too. As well as that, you have access to a library of over 100 tapping videos, meditations, resources, courses, and more. And right now, the doors are open for just a short period of time. So check out www.tappingformums.com forward slash join dash membership for all the details. And if the doors are closed when you visit, you can join a waitlist. On my website, you can also take my new motherhood self-care toolkit quiz to help you identify which part of your life needs a bit of extra self-care right now. Is it your mind, your emotions, your body or your soul? And if you have any questions, do email me sarah at tappingformums.com. While you were going on the masturbation journey, the question I have is... um, did you tell your friends and your closest confidants that you were rediscovering that about yourself? Or was was your masturbation journey to begin with a secret of affair? Absolutely. I would never have told a soul when I started. I actually <laughs> thought that I was going to get sent to hell and that I was going to like, I thought people would think I was a terrible person. Yeah, they knew, you know, it was really like starting, I started to just discover myself, but I felt really bad about it. I felt really bad about it. And then only slowly over time, did I start to question, hold on, why am I feeling bad about something that is affecting no one else and making me feel good? Mm. Why? Yeah. And it is really hard to take away the shame that is is there for women with regards to touching themselves and feeling myself as the title of the book I yeah got that in a bit slicker but yeah no it was perfect <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it reminds me of my um journey with touching myself and that that started very young and I didn't know what I was doing I felt um pleasure down there and I would like rub up against furniture and stuff really do yeah do I I used to hump teddies when I was younger (laughs) but then you but you don't even realize what you're doing you're just like this feels really fucking good so I'm gonna continue doing yeah yeah then I got to a point where I would feel guilty having an orgasm 
like the two were were synonymous like I to have an orgasm and then I'd feel shame afterwards and that that would be even with somebody else someone in a in a relationship with and not just kind of you know there was no reason why I should have felt guilt but I felt guilt and I haven't unpacked that I haven't on I haven't looked at that and that's something that the book has brought up for me it's like which is great because there's an area for me to revisit there's a version of me who still holds shame like and I remember finding I know you talked about porn that you were exposed to pornography quite young I found a um a sex book in the house and I think a lot of my guilt and shame stems from finding that book and I admitted it to my parents and they were you know very obviously very um mature about it and kind and everything but I still felt this very heavy uh, shame and tell me about your exposure to pornography and now your relationship with pornography because I never knew what you have found existed like I just have blocked off pornography as something men looked at that's highly addictive and causes trouble and it's like in this bad box yeah well you know porn is demonized rightly so for you know exploitation of women and for being you know very uh from the male perspective something that a lot of women are just not really interested in again it's it can be violent it can be dirty there's a lot of stuff that would make us recoil Mm. so I had a lot of shame about liking porn and I felt bad. I didn't know whether they, you know, the porn that I was watching was always consensual. And that was uh, another thing, you know, fucking hell. I mean, if I could stop my head, I would, you know, the amount of like questions and thoughts and processes that is going on when I'm just trying to orgasm is ridiculous. Um, But (laughs) it is there. So uh, I was, oh, I don't know how long ago now. Can't remember, but I was introduced to ethical porn. Um, And in particular, somebody called Erica Lust, who has uh, a website and has lots of different sort of uh, channels, I would say. And she, uh, she does porn, which is from a female gaze. And it's, inclusive there's people who look like me there's um lots of different body shapes they are not fetishized or glorified it's just in a kind of here's some humans having sex and it's a really really wonderful kind of all-inclusive embracing free experience to watch like without feeling guilty about it. And I think it's incredibly important to pay for porn if you like to watch porn because you should be paying the performers, you know. The sex workers, it's a job like any other job and it's important that we reward them with money. Um, So that's how we can ensure that it's ethically sound. consensual, yeah. Exactly, Exactly. So, yeah, it just it was really enlightening to find. And, and that's not just the only one. There's like loads more out there. But it's just 
you know, it just feels better. If you like watching people having sex, then there is, you know, options out there that are much more, um, much more like geared towards women. Yeah. And I'm kind of thinking, like, how do I go from, you know, being afraid of porn and I, and, and, I'm very interested in the this new world that you have you're, you've just described there. Um, do I just pull the plaster off and just dip dip my toe in just to see like is this something that is for me or or do I how do I break down the fear or what am I even afraid of? <laughs> yeah, well, let's 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 unpack that. What are you? Afraid of? <laughs> what are you afraid of? I'm afraid of maybe even saying to my husband that I think I would like to watch other people have sex together. Why? What do you think you're assuming his reaction will be? Yeah, yeah, I'm assuming that his he would reaction. then judge me for that desire. So, yeah, judgment, I mean, you judgment. And, and you are not doing anything wrong, nothing harmful. Mm. I think it's a great conversation to have with your partner, you know, and I would suggest this conversation that you've just had today is a conversation starter. Well, I was just, <laughs> yeah. I was I'm just on my or- podcast admitted I want to watch porn. He's going to be like, oh, Jesus. No, absolutely not. There's nothing wrong with it. We need yeah. to take away. That's the conditioning. We do. Mm. And I'm sure, well, I don't know, but I'm sure he watches porn too. So, like, just just say oh yeah just like dip your toe in there's yeah. not there's also if if you're not ready to go for full-blown like porn watching mm-hmm. then there's lots of um alternatives like uh podcasts and um audiobooks oh, yeah. that also you can make up help you to make up the kind of stories or images in your head which might feel safer for some people that's a really good point and you also mentioned which I thought was interesting that I have never heard discussed is the 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 naturalness to visualize other people or other situations while you're having sex like that has never come into I mean me and my friends don't talk about sex me and my husband barely talk about sex yeah yeah. And 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 why? Why you know? I mean, I have a lot of work to do there. <laughs> uh, look, Sarah, we all do. We all have. Yeah, You're I know. Not the only one. Yeah. Uh, but I used to feel bad for fantasizing about another person or other scenarios. Yeah. But the the brain is conditioned for novelty. So how are you going to get through sex with a partner for 20 years solid whilst only, you know, thinking about them? Like, don't feel bad about it. And nothing is going to, you know, you're not betraying them. You're simply, your brain is trying to help you stay. In the moment, isn't it? In the moment. And fantasizing is a great way to do that. It's, it's. You don't have to tell anyone about it. I just bet you we all do it and we've just not talked about it. Let your imagination go wild. Have the 
best wildest like <laughs> sex in your whole life and it's this it's a great way and and that's the thing look as kids we are so good with our imagination aren't we and so good at like playing these uh, role modeling these different like scenarios and and characters in our head and then suddenly you know as we get older we tend to lose that ability mm. or feel bad about it um and I'm like no we need to get in back in touch with that kind of inner child that just wants to have fun in their head yeah so, yeah and enjoy pleasure for pleasure's sake without any attachments and conditions and how fucking hard is it (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, come back to me when we've sorted that one out (laughs) (laughs) but you know I think for me you know having an orgasm and actually taking control of my own pleasure has been you know very healing for me but also it is like a form of meditation for me. And I do, mm. you know, I do, I am able to silence out everything else now and focus on the sensations and the experiences that are happening within me. Um, and that's often what, you know, the, the roadblocker is to having orgasms. So it's, um, let's just think of it as another form of meditation. Yeah, it's um, mindfulness. Perfect. Yes, exactly. So let's like let's stop demonizing it and let's actually just enjoy more of it. Exactly. So to the mum who's has a couple of kids now and is exhausted and is not really got you know the energy, doesn't feel up for it, knows that things aren't quite where they were. What does she do to start getting thoughts back on track? Is the self pleasure a because I know that like when you have, sometimes when you have orgasms, the more you have, the more, the more you want them, for example. So if you just started to, to maybe give yourself self-pleasure, that might make you then want to have partner pleasure. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a great way to start. Mm. However, I will, I will say that's only if you want to start feeling sexual again. Yeah, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and there's also a lot of shame about not wanting to have sex or yeah. not being able to pleasure your partner, especially after having a baby. We think we need to like jump back on the horse yes. really quickly. 100%. And actually, like it's okay. It's okay not to have any sexual thoughts at all because you've got fucking leaky boobs and because you know your your vulva feels like it's gonna fall out into the toilet (laughs) like it's okay to take some time off and not put pressure on yourself to get back to some sense of normality having a baby is the most I mean it's the most extreme sport I've ever been a part of it is it is, you know, everything going. changes. Everything mm. changes. Your life turns upside down. And this is not to scare anyone who might be pregnant for the first time. But it, it, I, I can't remember what I likened it to in my book. Um, I think it was like a tsunami or a tornado or something like that. Um, but 
you know, you you have these kind of romantic ideals about like how wonderful it is going to be and how maternal and how romantic you romanticize it. Um, but it's hard. And let's not put pressure on ourselves to start feeling sexual. But if you are getting those twinges mm-hmm. of um twinges of desire I would say I think it's a beautiful way of starting to reconnect to your body just touch mm. yourself just explore yourself don't have any sort of end goal just yeah. enjoy the sensations you don't need to have an orgasm you just need to explore and and yeah and have fun basically like take away all of the pressure yeah. and just do what feels natural yeah that's beautiful Thank you. One of the other things that you mentioned in the book that I hadn't really, um, never really grasped is that when we're, when children are born, they are treated and assumed to be heterosexual, uh, heterosexual, heterosexual. There we go. Um, (laughs) It's like a default that I never realized existed. Um, do you mean you forgot that we were assuming? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that it was an assumption that you would grow up and want a man and want to get married and want to have children. Um, and I, I definitely can see that changing in the world uh, at the moment where I think sexual identities become more fluid and people have become more aware uh, and that that's amazing. Um Tell me a little bit about your sexual identity journey. Yeah, I think I think it's quite. Oh, do I want to go so far as saying it's quite damaging to assume that the default is heterosexuality? Maybe. Yeah. Um, I think it is really important to be mindful that our children are their own person. And we place so many assumptions on our children and it's really important to unlearn those assumptions because although society is getting great and more accepting in terms of allowing, I I don't like using the word allowing, but it is true, allowing um, people to um, express themselves and their gender and their identity in various ways. I think, why do people need to come out? Why do people need to have this big whole party, you know, about, about the need of telling people that, they like a certain kind yeah. of person wouldn't it just be really cool if if we actually was just curious and just asked questions rather than making assumptions yeah that no one asked for so um I think my in terms of my own sexual identity it's taking a really long sort of process to understand that it was just assumed that I was heterosexual. It was just assumed that I uh, was going to get married and were in, was into men. I assumed it because people had put, had put that on me. Yeah. Um, 
and I and I have learned through this whole process of self-awareness that actually I did have an attraction to women as well and I wanted to explore that and there was nothing wrong with exploring that no and I wasn't going against this invisible kind of judgment it did feel like that at some times but it was just like wouldn't it be really nice to explore that side of myself and yes it was it was really bloody lovely and really um, enlightening and different and magical it was such a it was so wonderful to have the freedom to be able to do that and um, not feel bad about it. It's amazing because I remember uh, being attracted to one of my school friends in secondary school um, and feeling, yeah, very confused by it. And obviously at that age and in that time, we had no one to talk to about that. There's no one, there was no openness no. or no conversation to be had it was like then no understanding of it right yeah yeah um and there was a few little kisses a few explorations or whatever but um but then it was like all well, that that was shut down and then it's like okay you've done your you've had your little kiss uh now now to the boys like now now focus on the 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 job at hand okay the job at hand is to find a man settle down have a child and so on yeah I would say that the majority of your listeners this is anecdotal I don't I don't have the stats for this <laughs> I would say the majority of your listeners have um thought about the same sex in yeah. a sexual way at some point in their lifetimes I think personal yeah. sexuality is definitely on a kind of continuum and it can change and also speaking to a lot of my friends, I know that a large majority of them had experiences with their friends of the same sex mm. when they were little. And it was just an, ex- you know, it was, we were just exploring, exploring. and inquisitive, yeah. inquisitive. Um, and sometimes that's even happened with family members yes. and not really understanding yeah. what it was. And then growing up and then feeling a huge amount of shame for that. It's really difficult. And so I just want to, you know, help people feel okay and normalize that I would say a lot more people, a lot of, a lot more of us are bisexual than we actually really have given credit to. And I think, and I think it's kind of a shame that we are not able to, my friend likes to use this analogy of having a buffet and we're not able to like explore the whole buffet table. We only go to a certain section of it. Yeah. That's really sad. And mm. and, uh, and our sexual expression has been really narrow and um very inhibited and it would wouldn't it just be nice to just be a lot more freer I totally agree and I think what you're what you're doing and what you've written especially when you think about your daughters and how you treat them and 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 teaching them about love 
regardless of the gender of the other person, etc. I think even if we don't feel like we want to go there for ourselves right now, being aware of that and not treating our children as if they're going to be straight um, would be an amazing gift to the world. Um, And so hopefully people will be able to read that chapter and kind of question their own thoughts and their own beliefs and use it to maybe have conversations in the household or when the children are older to be, yeah, just more aware. Exactly. Exactly. And that's all I want to do. I like to ask questions. I like to... I like to stimulate thought and that's that's exactly I think what this book does um, definitely I, it's like I have to come back to this I think another two times oh, and I'm I gonna, love that. yeah like I have I have paragraphs highlighted and things underlined the whole way through the book um and I'm actually going to buy the proper book now as well because I want the the hard the hardcover looks so nice it does doesn't it yeah I am also very aesthetically minded. Motivated as well, yeah. Yeah, it it really was important to me that if it was on a coffee table, it looked good. Yeah. (laughs) So hopefully, like the outside and the inside are on Yes, yeah, I totally agree. Amazing. Maybe maybe I have a suggestion. Maybe you give the book to your husband. Mm. Yeah, I did talk a lot about it. I actually, we went away for a night away and I took the book and I read about four or four chapters or five chapters. Wow. And so I, ha- I did tell him about all this conditioning and I don't think he, was, he understands it because, I, and I also was thinking, who's written this kind of book from the man's perspective? Because I think there needs to be the other view, the other conditioning, you know, and the, there's a lack of understanding of what we have gone through as women and the conditioning we have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I think you're completely right. But also I think we would like to understand the male, you know, the male perspective a little bit more. And I think it's very useful for men to understand our perspective and, yeah. and the, the conditioning imposed on us and the, you know, societal judgment that we face every day being a woman with a body and just walking around living their own lives you know we yeah. they need to understand that it it's difficult it is difficult yeah. so there's definitely there's definitely room for that there's definitely more room for conversations more room for understanding and that's that's how we can grow and get better and and break the cycle and make change yeah, and yeah exactly. yeah I'm, I'm so happy that you enjoyed it so much I really uh, am um we had a bit of a tapping session the other day we did your first ever tapping experience and um we had been in touch about you you were uh, recording the audio version of the book and I made a presumption having read the book that you would be experiencing a, a, a resurge of emotion. And that's why we decided to kind of get on and do some tapping. How did you find the session and how have you felt since? Uh, well, I thought it was very um, uh, intuitive, uh, uh, insightful of you to message me and just say, you know, maybe we should do a tapping session. It was exactly what I needed. <laughs> It was very emotional. Mm. It was a really 
beautiful release of that emotion that I kind of didn't realize was there and needed to come out. It was just so incredible. I really enjoyed it. I'm like, a, I'm, I'm a convert now. Yeah. Convert. Con- yeah, that, that's it. You, that's I, it. Yeah. <laughs> I am a tapping convert and I, uh, I'm i going to be like passing this gift around to everyone and telling everyone about it. I think it's absolutely wonderful what you do. And also, I'm really surprised by it, like really surprised by it. How can squeezing your fingers have that much effect? It's incredible. Or just yeah. tapping on your forehead. It, I, I didn't realize how powerful it could be, but actually it felt great and there's you know since sort of becoming more connected to myself and more in tune with my feelings I am now not afraid to get emotional or cry or have very strong sort of visceral reactions to things and so it was just so so beautiful it was a real good release and I felt so much better um it's helped me work through some difficult things that I that had been brought up during the audiobook. So I just I'm just so thankful for that. Oh, I'm delighted. Oh, you know, I am passionate about sharing this tool with as many people as possible so they can manage and their own releases that they that they are feeling. And also I noticed, and you talk about it in the book as well. This is the last question. I'm sorry, because I could have you on all day. Um, I love it. (laughs) You've, um, you turned to some spiritual practices as well on, on this journey to rediscover yourself and, and to start to feel more joy and more pleasure. What were those things that you've done and how did you discover them? Well, you know, at the start of this interview, behind you is a box of Isis. Um, Isis is a goddess and I noticed that at the very start because I've got those oracle cards too oh wow so I was like oh my god I love this girl because (laughs) she's just as spiritual as me um yeah but yeah I I again that's been another kind of slow journey into looking at like the moon and the cycles and the phases uh, sort of getting some support and feeling like yeah so I use crystals as well as support and I uh, do like get away negative energy with burning sage and things like that it's just another one of those really like uh, proactive things I can do to support my own mental like well-being it makes me feel good so um like I did couldn't I did a retreat and it was kundalini and that was that's a, a breathing practice I don't know if this comes under the whole mystical sort of spiritual um umbrella but yeah that was a another sort of healing process that has really helped me and uh, it's just about trying new things and seeing what works for you and I'm such an inquisitive person that I want to try everything <laughs> and I and I love I love learning about new things I love learning about crystal properties and and uh like oracle cards and 
having my tarot read, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Just, I think it's just, just really fun. And it can be used as a wonderful tool to support yourself. Yeah, well, I, I totally agree. I'm surrounded here with like, I've got Joan of Arc. Um, <laughs> I've got rainbows. I've got uh, flower elixirs, crystals, candles. This is like my new little, my new little she den. It's funny you said Joan of Arc. Somebody mentioned Joan of Arc to me when I had a crystal reading recently Ooh. and said Joan of Arc was around me. Amazing. Uh, an angel reading, sorry. Yeah. Yes. Trail she's a trailblazer, isn't she? And she she used her voice, she stood up, she led, she changed Ooh. perspective. You know, and that's what you're doing. That's amazing. See, look at the synchronicity. I am yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's incredible. Yeah, she was strong. Mm. Yeah, so so powerful. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I just love like believing in magic. I think mm. it's just such a lovely thing to to believe in. I think the possibilities are endless and our minds are, you know, there's we probably don't use uh I don't know. I probably don't even use 10% of them. I think there's so much more out there to learn. Oh, totally. Stuff. And I like I feel like I'm on this very hungry path where I just can't constantly buying courses and signing up for things and doing yeah. readings with people and like I'm just like give it to me now give it to me now I want to know I want to know everything and sometimes I have to remind myself to just chill out <laughs> like yeah. there is divine timing there is a steps to take there is a path and a process and to just take myself off the hook every now and then but it, it's yeah. such a passion it's such an interest that um it just lights me up and then I want to know more and more and more yeah interesting I love it well thank you so much for the conversation and for writing the book on behalf of everyone who's going to read it oh <laughs> it's I'm, it's brilliant sorry I'm just I'm just so made up I think we had a really lovely conversation and I've really enjoyed talking to you and I really oh, hope that you. your listeners will resonate with what we said. And even if you don't, uh, even if you don't agree with everything I say, mm. you know, it, even if it just stimulates you to think about things, that's, that's all I want. You know, um, we don't all have to have the same thoughts and opinions on things and that's okay. That's what makes life really interesting but I thank you for giving me this opportunity and this platform to speak to your listeners um, and to speak to you. It's been wonderful. Thank oh, you. Oh, I'm, I'm sure we, we are all so grateful. I'm talking now from on behalf of everybody that listens. But yeah, it's so grateful to have a different perspective, someone that's breaking down some internal barriers that I think a lot of us are carrying and having important conversations. And you mentioned... To wrap it up now, how you how you get rid of shame is that you talk about stuff and it just oh. dissolves the shame. So there we go. Exactly. Shine a light on talk it. Talk about it. It won't feel so scary and so big. It's, yeah. it's the best way. And you know what? Shame and guilt are the heaviest of emotions that we carry. So therefore, they should be the ones that we really want to work on and release because Absolutely. they're weighing us down. 
Yeah. They really are. They really are. And I think the the road to getting over them is forgiveness. Forgive yourself for feeling shame. Forgive yourself for the things that you experience or that were done for you. I think that's the best way. Yeah, brilliant advice. Thank you so much, Natalie. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed this chat and have had a few light bulb moments. Have a think about what your key takeaways are. Please do subscribe, follow or leave a rating or a view to help this podcast reach more people. I really, really appreciate it. Don't forget to check out my website to take my quiz and start ramping up your self-care practices. www.tappingformums.com 